From KLIN Radio and the Lincoln Independent Business Association, this is the Lincoln Business Beat, a weekly summary of news affecting area business and a review of interesting topics and issues. Along with LIBA President and CEO Bud Seinhorst, I'm Mark Vail. Glad to have you joining us. Lincoln Business Beat is made possible by Currency. You can learn more at GoCurrency.com. Bud, for the first time since we've been getting together, we've got a guest in the studio. So It's uh, kind of fun to bring some uh, fresh blood to the table today. So We talked a little bit last time about the new chair of the Lincoln Independent Business Association, but we're going to meet Joe Fry right now. Absolutely. I thought it'd be a good opportunity for our listeners to meet Joe, learn about Joe a little bit. Joe's been a longtime member of LIBA. He's a business owner here in Lincoln, so kind of learn about his business and what he thinks about uh, what he thinks about being the chair of LIBA. So uh, welcome, Joe. We appreciate having you here today. Yeah, thank you, Mark. Thank you, Bud, for having me. I, I appreciate this. Uh, we'll, we'll treat you right. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Mark's in charge, so he's driving the bus. So I guess, Joe, start a little bit and tell us about Triumph Home Health and about your business, how long you've been in business and what you all do. Yeah, so uh, Triumph Home Health Supplies, we've been in business since 2003, and we're a resupply company for medical supplies. We we uh, resupply the end user with ostomy catheter, um, enteral compression, wound, and incontinent supplies. So uh, we we do a, cover a multi-state area, and um, uh, it's... Uh, like I said, it's been going on since 2003, and we've been having a lot of fun with it. So, now is, uh, so I get this straight. Is this a retail-type store, or are you supplying uh, other clinics and doctor's offices, or do you do both? Yeah, so it's actually not a retail-type st- uh, store. We actually supply the end user, and in most cases, we're seeing the referral coming from the doctor's office, and then we go ahead and just drop ship it out to uh, wherever they may live. Big so, business. There's yeah. a huge demand in the medical supply. My uh, youngest daughter is in the medical supply business down in Texas. So I got a little bit of, I'm a little curious on that. So yeah, so the baby boomers are hopping online pretty quickly. Um, there's a lot of, there is a lot of need, and um, uh, it seems like a, it keeps us busy. That's for sure. Excellent. Well, Joe, you've been a longtime uh, active member of LIBA and part of the organization. And we were excited when you decided to go into the vice chair role and then step into the chair role. We had a little bit of a change here mid-year, which was a little unexpected. So tell us just about your involvement with LIBA, what got you involved, and uh, talk. just tell us about why you're part of our organization. All right. So um, originally the reason we were kind of jo- we joined LIBA was we needed that access to the political world. Um, we deal a lot in the Medicaid, the Medicare, uh, private insurance companies, and so it was important for us when, when we were having issues, whether it be federal, whether it be state level, we needed to have that access. And so picking up the phone and calling the LIBA office and asking, hey, who do I talk to about this was, uh, was key for us. Excellent. So Joe lives from that mission. There's a banner that uh, hangs in our office and it says, uh, get into politics or get out of business because there's so many things that impact our business uh, on a day-to-day basis Absolutely. Just in that political world, whether it's we've talked about ordinances and let's see, what was it, the International Fire Code of 2018 and city and budgets and those kind of things. Oh, oh we've talked about budgets. Oh, <laughs> have we talked about budgets? I've got a special treat coming up for you, Mark, because the county budget's up next on <laughs> The Price is Right right here. <laughs> Another deep dive. Exactly. So, Joe, talk a little bit about now that you're uh, stepping in as chair, 
talk about why you believe LIBA is important and the things that you want to kind of do while you fulfill this term. Yeah, so um, one of the things that I see with LIBA is it's a volunteer organization. I know, Bud, you have your staff there at the LIBA office that takes care of some of the the day-to-day operations, but there are over, what? uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, eight uh, committees that are... Yeah that are for overseeing what's going on in the city and and those are all volunteers on those committees and and I think that's important that we have that voice of Lincoln out there talking about independent businesses and and making sure that our our uh not that our mission is 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 being heard but some uh, more so that um we we have a connection with the people that we need to have when it when we need to have it well it's a good way for us to drive home the mission Right. You know, uh, LIBA was started because a group of business owners wanted the business community to have a voice at City Hall. And, and this provides that opportunity, whether we're sitting down and talking about uh, talking about what's going on in the budgets, uh, learning different things, how things processes work, talking with our business owners about specific ordinances that may impact their business. Absolutely. You know, for the business owner that doesn't have the opportunity to, to attend all those meetings or or get to know the city council members on a on a personal level that's what liba is doing for us and and we need to make sure that people know that and that uh the uh our voice is being heard i think that's important yeah i you know as we've talked about on here mark i've been a member a long time you've been a member a long time joe's been a member a long time Uh, a deep passion for the mission and what we can do to help our community because small business really is in my mind the driving force behind a real successful community well, as a small business, and, and full disclosure here, I, I'm not only work at KLIN Radio, but I'm a managing partner of a small digital design group, joined Labor a few years ago, and it's it's just too complicated, and, and I almost claim, you know, feel as though being in the news business, we follow these things very closely, but we can't get into the, the nitty-gritty, the detail, even as a news organization to the level that, and the, with the research and the background that Labor has with staff and Bud's uh, political connections and, and all that. Absolutely. Right. Business just doesn't have that capacity, but it's so important. You know what's going on. So. Yeah, we, we as a business community, we need to rely on the LIBA staff to, to be out there and making those connections. And, and the deep dives on some of those budgets that you guys have done in the past and the, on the beat here, um, it's amazing. It's amazing the information that's shared and, and what, we, what we need to know. Got a couple of things in the city that have come up here, and uh, Joe's going to stick with us uh, through our break, but a couple of things that are before the city now. Uh, last spring, I think it was, there was a pilot program on food trucks that uh, they were pretty limited on what they could and couldn't do prior to that. They opened it up a little bit for some neighborhoods. They were able to park for a short period of time. But it looks like uh, the issue of food trucks and downtown and some changes and possible changes in the ordinance is going to be tried out, what, in a, a pi- another pilot program of some type, I'm not entirely sure how this. Yeah, there's been a lot of talk about food trucks and and how do how do we incorporate them into the community. Um, the city council's been talking about this. Gosh, I think for the past two or three years, what do we do? How can we do it? Earlier this year, they expanded so that food trucks could be in a neighborhood a little bit longer. So if you're having a kid's birthday party and you want to get a couple food trucks out there or something, neighborhood party. It used to be for one hour, and I think they extended it to three. Uh, But now what they want to do is this fall, uh, they want to take an opportunity for food trucks uh, to be able to be in some different areas in downtown. Um, And then I know that part of that discussion, negotiation is involved. What about the brick-and-mortar restaurants that are down there and some of that 
type of thing. And so they're going to have a couple of spots. There's going to be one over by the state office building around 14th and Q. And then in the South Haymarket under the Rosa Parks uh, overpass, just to give a time, an opportunity for businesses downtown, employees downtown to have a spot to go to grab some lunch, those kind of things. They want to they want to give this a, an opportunity to see what happens. That'll be at the city council agenda on Monday, the fifteenth. So it's coming up. They're going to take a look at it, and there'll be the opportunity to to do a pilot program. and And I, I've traveled all over the country, and it's interesting to see areas that have these food trucks. I almost call them like a food truck village. I was out in Virginia. And around the VCU hospital, every day about 1030, all these food trucks and carts converge in about a six-block radius. And then about 130 in the afternoon, they all disappear. But I was, you know, when I traveled, I always wanted to go to someplace local, right? I don't, I don't want to go to the chain. I want to get the local flair. And it was just interesting to walk around. I've been out in uh, the Ben Redmond, Oregon area, and they have a specific area it's got about eight or ten food trucks, and it's almost like an RV park. It's got the electricity hookups and the water hookups. And you go to this park, and there's these different food trucks there. And so if you want Greek or Mexican or Indian or, you know, good old cheeseburger and French fries. And then they actually had a little bar built in there where if you wanted to have a cocktail, you could. And uh, my favorite truck was the big ice cream one that had the waffle cone you know, more ice cream than one person should eat. So I think it's nice to to take a look at these and see what happens. You know, we'll see what happens during the the pilot period and see kind of where the direction goes. One of the things that has uh, surfaced a couple of times is that some employers who are trying to get people to come back into the office in the downtown area are thinking that this might be one of the ways to sweeten that just a little bit. See any credence in, in that thought process i think you know we've talked about workforce on here and how hard it is to to get employees and we've talked about trying to get employees back to work i think it's a unique interesting way uh to support something like this you know you think about some of the downtown areas and the haymarket areas we had a lot of restaurants closed down there you know we had coffee shops restaurants and things closed maybe this is something fun that Maybe people come back and try it, and they'll get back to the office and go, hey, it's all right to come back down here and and, and try it out. So, you know, whatever we can do to innovate, to try to find ways, uh, you know, we've talked about being creative on here several times. So we'll see how it goes. It'll be, it'll be fascinating to watch. We've talked a lot about public safety uh, on the Lincoln Business Beat. Lincoln City Council uh, proved uh, not long ago, unanimously, uh, a new three-year police union contract. It makes the Lincoln uh, police force the highest paid in the state. Um, is this going to be a, a recruiting uh, plus? Uh, is this something that uh, is tending to break the budget? Or let me ask it this way, what's in this agreement that we may not be aware of yet? I think the big thing here is is to be competitive. Number one, first and foremost, I think uh, Chief Ewans and the union and those involved in the negotiations are really focused on what can we do to be attractive. One of the things that we've heard with the the whole public safety discussion and loss of officers is 
Sometimes we're losing officers to Omaha for one of two reasons, either opportunity for advancement or higher pay. And so if we can balance the higher pay, that makes a difference. Um, and, and honestly, the other thing has been the recruitment issue and attractive wages. And we've talked in here a lot about the competition and what's happened with wages. And this seems to be the wage day. Now we're getting into the wage section. Um, so it's those kind of things that that we have to take a look at. Uh, at LIBA, we've always been very, very supportive of an investment in our public safety officials and what we can do to keep our streets safe. It's good for business owners. It's good for their employees. So I, I think we'll have to see over the next couple of years, is this investment making a difference? Right now we have, I think, about 20 officers in the academy. See what it does for recruitment. This may help us with some of the lateral moves. You know, we talked here a couple weeks ago about the lateral class and Chief Ewan's wanting to have a lateral class in between the two academies because that gets the officers on the streets quicker. So, um, you know, and in a competitive business world, if you need to get people and one of the things you need to look at are salaries, sometimes that's what you got to take a look at. Well, I think we can also look back to what the state did in the corrections uh, situation. They completely revised their recruiting process, their hiring process, and their pay structure were quite successful in bridging a huge gap in corrections here. Uh, what was it, late last year and early this year, I believe. So. Yeah, I mean, they, they went into some higher-end bonuses to recruit. And then there's the trickle-down effect. I was talking to Sheriff Wagner yesterday, and he was talking about now that how that has an impact on the correction officers here at the county and also uh, for the sheriffs. And so the county board is, has made some adjustments in their budgets uh, to try to raise that pay to be to be right there in line. And they're not able to jump over that right now, and we don't want to get in that big of a wage war between two political subdivisions, but they're able to, to be competitive. And so, you know, a, a difference of 30 or 40 cents an hour is a lot different than five or six bucks an hour. So it, it it's the market. The market drives a lot of those things. And so you know, we've got to do what we can to to invest in our public safety because we've seen cities around the country where they've lost a lot of officers and really the community has backed away from their their police officers and we've seen what it's done on the streets of those cities and we don't want that in Lincoln. Public safety, a huge issue for small business. I would uh, assume, Joe, you would agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, kind of what Tabud said there, uh, it's kind of the police officers have gotten a bad rap over the last number of years, and and there's a lot of police officers that are shying away from a profession that's really rather noble, and so to to bring those pays up and try to attract good quality people into uh, that workforce, I have to agree with it. And on, from a business owner side, we have assets out there that we need protected, and and that's what the police department does for us. Well, we've we've talked about this a little bit here. Also, Mark, you know, some of the theft things that are happening in businesses in areas of town that have never seen that before, you know, that business has been in town 40, 50 years and have never seen that kind of theft and threat level. So I think putting those people on the street and I think a presence of police officers makes a huge difference. Um, and w the more we can get to that fully staffed number, the more officers we're going to have on the streets in a preventative way as well. Joe, good to meet you. Congrats and good luck as your uh, as the new Libra chair. Thank you, gentlemen. I appreciate it.
All right. We're going to into our deep dive mode here in just a moment. Uh, this one is going to be on minimum wage. Right. And, you know, there's a lot of ballot petitions out there. I'm sure we'll hit on a few of them. But this is one I think as a business owner and as businesses, we have to be we have to be aware of the minimum wage petition and how it impacts our business. We'll take a deep dive on that in just a moment. Do you need help finding reliable financing options for heavy machinery, trucks, or even other equipment for your business? Well, Currency is here to help. Currency specializes in finding the most competitive financing options for construction equipment, farm machinery, trucks, trailers, and other big-ticket items. Whether you're replacing old machines or expanding your fleet, Currency makes it easy to get financing. It's secure and free to use, and it gives you a single point of contact for the entire process. Visit GoCurrency.com and fill out the application. Currency will automatically find a lender offering the best rates and terms. Currency is equipment financing made simple. Visit GoCurrency.com and apply today. Offers may vary and arranged by Express Tech Financing, LLC, DBA Currency, pursuant to CFL License 60DBO-54873. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Back on today's Lincoln Business Beat in our deep dive segment, uh, minimum wage ballot initiative looks like it's going to be up this fall. Uh, some things, though, if you get into the nitty gritty, get down into the minutia of it, that a lot of people may not uh, understand or be aware of. Let's go into it. The current federal minimum wage, seven twenty-five, but we're in uh, in this particular ballot initiative. We're looking at a possibility of reaching, what, $15 by 2026? Yeah, and that that's one of those initiatives. You know, 2014, there was an initiative, a ballot initiative that passed pretty overwhelmingly, about 60% to 40%, that by, by 2016, the minimum wage in Nebraska got up to $9. This one that's on the... The ballot this year. I'm going to just start and read the the object of the ballot, the uh, petition, because I think it's important. The object of this petition is to amend Nebraska's minimum wage law to increase the state minimum wage from nine dollars per hour to ten dollars and fifty cents on January first of 2023 to twelve dollars to an hour on by January one of 2024, thirteen dollars and fifty cents per hour on January 1st of 2025 and $15 an hour on January 20 January 1 2026 to be adjusted annually thereafter 
to account for increases in the cost of living. And I think, first of all, going from, you know, $9 to $15 is a 67% increase uh, over the next four years. The impact that this has on business owners is tremendous. And a lot of people say, well, you know, people aren't, you know, most businesses aren't paying that minimum wage and those kind of things. But the fact of the matter is, if right now I'm paying somebody, you know, $12 an hour, and all of a sudden that minimum wage jumps over $12 an hour, what do I have to do for that employee that's been with me for a few years? And how do I, you know, how do I adjust that? So I think we could see some wage adjustments asked for on several levels, which just ex- ex- it exponentially increases your cost as a business owner. And that, you know, that's the thing that I don't think the conversation is really happening about. I heard it once said uh, that uh, the minimum wage is actually primarily uh, an entry level type of position, primarily. Correct. Not, not always. But raising the minimum wage sometimes has a negative effect on that particular job market because you're either going to have automation move in or you're going to pass that up to higher paid employees or you're just not going to have the number of entry-level positions. Well, and I think just, okay, so let's just think about day-to-day things that we talk about on this show frequently. Let's talk about groceries. There's multiple grocery stores in town that have reduce the number of checkers, and they've gone to self-checkout, okay? So those checkers are generally maybe those entry-level type positions that are at that minimum wage type type job. So now you talk about automation. There's a good example of uh, places that are going to automation because I don't, I don't know. There's three, at least three or four grocery stores in Lincoln where you go and it seems like that self-checkout section's getting a lot bigger, and the section where I can go to somebody to check out is getting a lot smaller. So I think that's a good example of what you're saying, Mark, is how automation can have an impact on some of these. Yeah, and, and just the, the, the marketplace, the market value, uh, a certain job is worth X amount of dollars. You're paying for uh, the, the, not just the time, the value you bring to that time and it's just different positions uh does that make this a, a situation that's very very difficult in some business situations to make this a feasible deal especially if there's no uh if you will cap on this particular one with the cost of living well you you'd look at when you look at like the federal guidelines a full-time employee is 2080 hours a year right so if we raise the minimum wage from nine to ten bucks an hour you're raising someone's salary 3000 bucks essentially $3,3200 quick math now think about if you have 5 or 6 employees now now I'm increasing my cost by 15000 16000 17000 dollars what's that going to do to my bottom line number 1 and then am I going to have to price myself out of the market you know think about a landscaping company a local landscaping company they generally bring people in at that minimum wage you come in, you prove your worth, maybe we'll bump you up a little bit. 
So now that there's that domino effect of, well, now they're going to have to pay at this level. Now the consumer is going to have to pay. And also we've talked in here a lot about the rising cost of supplies and getting supplies and just the, the all the inflation things that are that are happening. And so there's such there is a negative impact. And then I think there's also the domino effect of, OK, so we implement this minimum wage and I've got somebody who I'm moved from nine dollars an hour to eleven dollars an hour. Well, now do I need to move them up from eleven to twelve or thirteen dollars? And and how does that affect all the way down my my list of employees that are my hourly employees? So I just think it, it's something that business owners should really pay attention to because there's going to be a tremendous cost. And and as we've talked before, whether it's a government entity or a business, the end user is essentially or the taxpayer is the one who ends up actually paying that price. Oh, absolutely. Uh, the other thing it, it's not a small amount, but anytime there's a raise in wages, there's also the wage of, or the increase in the subsequent taxes, Social Security that go along with payroll. So it's not just a dollar and a half an hour raise. It might be the equivalent of $2. Well, and you know, as we talk about that, and then you think about the benefits that go along with that, right? I mean, you start thinking about some of the employer matches. Now there's another cost. Now, how am I, you know, it's going to put people in different tax brackets. Are we going to affect some tax brackets with this? You know, there's been people in the legislature that have been very hesitant to adjust the tax brackets. Now, are we going to be hurting people? So there's some of those negative effects that we have to look at and, and take a look at. I just really want business owners to take a take a hard look at this at this petition and or and say, is this something that's going to be, how's this going to affect my business? Because as a small business owner, potentially it could have some, some pretty long-term effects. You know, I go back to, you know, if you go from $9 to $15 an hour over the next four years, you're going to be paying someone about 15, 14, $15,000 a year more over that time period. It's going to be that kind of a cost. Under the uh, current statutes there's there are a few exemptions from the minimum wage correct are, are, are those changing at all or are those staying as at- far as i know they're just doing the wage they're just coming after the wage but those exemptions are like ag and farm employees government employees apprentices volunteer nonprofit workers immediate family employees certain physically or mentally disabled workers so those are some of the the exemptions that currently exist and I think if we do, if this does pass, I think you're going to see some things brought forward to increase the number of exemptions, which is that really the right now? You know, why why should this person be able to make it over here? And are we going to hurt small businesses? This really hurt like some of your small town grocery stores and some of your small town restaurants and things like that when the previous one passed. And there's one other thing I think is fascinating, and I'm glad I don't have to make this decision but we have a a law in Nebraska that governs our petitions. And it says that petitions have to be a single subject. And I look at this petition and, you know, we're obviously we're changing the wage over four years. That seems to be to be one subject. The question is, is that last line of this petition that says to be adjusted annually thereafter to account for increases in cost of living. So this isn't going to stop at $16 or $15. 
This is going to annually increase that's going to be dictated. But I think we have a violation of this single subject rule, or at least having stayed in a hotel recently, I, I feel like I'm a lawyer now, so I can make that determination. Wow, that's that's an interesting question. We'll see where that comes down. So I think it's just important for business owners, and, and that's one of our goals here on Lincoln Business Beat is to give business owners things to pay attention to that are going on that they may not be thinking about. And that's that's my hope by talking about this today is to give them that opportunity to look into it. Yeah. I was talking with a, a business owner outstate here uh, earlier this week, uh, happened to be at a, a convention, and he has some uh, employees that are going to be retiring during, uh, if, if this were to pass, they'll be retiring in the next two to three years. And I asked him how he was going to deal with it. And he says, well, when a full-time re- employee retires, I'm going to probably replace that person with a part-time employee without the benefits. I've got to match some type of cost reduction in my business. And I might even hire two part-timers because it's just not feasible the way we're structured. Well, so and then it's kind of the law. Uh, what is it? The law of unintended consequences could also be uh, felt here. That's exactly what I was thinking, Mark, when you said that is that that's the law of unintended consequences. What what's the impact going to be? And now when we have people that aren't on benefits. What's the impact on them because of things like the quote-unquote Affordable Care Act, and, and, and how do we manage that? So there's always there's always the law of unintended consequences, and there's an opportunity cost with anything we do. I love the, th- the theory about the domino effect. What we don't know in situations like this is which domino is going to get pushed and which way it's going to uh, take them down. And how fast they're going to fall, <laughs> right? Yeah, that's right. Anything else from the Libra front this uh, edition? Well, uh, you know, next Wednesday, or excuse me, next Tuesday... We're going to have our monthly LIBA luncheon, and uh, we're going to have we're down at the Grand Manse, and we start at eleven thirty. We go until one, about one o'clock. Gives an opportunity for some networking, catch up on some some of the latest topics, and then in this as we go into the fall, we've got elections coming up, so we'll be talking candidate forums and opportunities for our our members to get out and meet candidates, especially in these local races, which have such a huge impact on our day-to-day lives. And since we're uh, talking about the Liba lunch, that is Tuesday, August 16th is the next one. And as you said, at Grand Mance, going to look at the feasibility of uh, a possible convention center with two great people, very knowledgeable about that particular side of uh, what could be uh, a huge benefit to Lincoln. Yeah, there's been a lot of talk about a convention center and how do we draw more people to Lincoln. Um, I love it when people from out of town come in and spend their money at our our local businesses. So it'll be a good opportunity to see what the feasibility study says and look at some of the different sites that they're talking about. So it'll be a good opportunity to see where we're headed. And Joe Fry, the new chairman, has been with us. Uh, hasn't participated in the second half, but Joe... Uh, Welcome to Lincoln Business Beat. I hope you'll come back and uh, and and join us and and uh, share at least share this edition, so we go a little more viral on our podcast. Absolutely, if I'm invited, I'll come on back. Good to uh, get together again, Bud. Appreciate it. Thank you, Mark. We'll get some budget deep dives again for you coming up oh, soon. I can hardly wait. I can hardly <laughs> wait. This is the Lincoln Business Beat from the Lincoln Independent Business Association and KLIN Radio. 
reviewing and updating business owners and community members about what's happening in the business community in and around Lincoln. Along with LIBA President and CEO Bud Seinorst, I'm Mark Vail. The Lincoln Business Beat is made possible by Currency. Learn more at GoCurrency.com.